glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Matthew chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Thank you. You may be seated. Our entire focus tonight, we will touch back to the previous verses but we're looking at verse 12, and so let me just kind of remind us and refresh us on what we've seen thus far. Uh, of course, the first thing we saw in regard to these men is that wise men consider the works of God. Uh, these men consider the star that God had put in the sky as a sign of the birth of Christ, and that we dealt with the whole message on the fact that wise men consider the works of God and uh, believe what God says through the, the work of creation. Number two, wise men have confidence in the word of God. And we saw that when they came to Jerusalem and were given instruction from Micah chapter 5 on where to find the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I, love, I love the thought in that message. They didn't balk and argue about what the scripture said. They simply believed it and went to Bethlehem. Amen. When they got to Bethlehem. So in that we saw wise men have confidence in the word of God. Number three, last week we saw uh, that wise men are consecrated to the worship of God when they came to Christ. They presented unto him not their trinkets, but their treasures. They didn't give him second best. They gave him their best. And so wise men are consecrated to the worship of God. Tonight is perhaps our most practical message of all. I believe a lot of times we're not introduced to wise men and don't see their lives until a point like this one. Uh, when they're making decisions that seem so minor but have such major significance. I remember a turning point, and I'm not saying I've arrived anywhere because I could turn back off of that point. But I remember a turning point in my thinking as a Christian when I was wrestling over some seemingly minor issues. They're so minor, I can't even remember what they were. They are today. Uh, I knew in my mind, I knew from the Bible what the will of God was concerning these issues. But we weren't talking about who I was going to marry. We weren't talking about... Um, uh, we weren't talking about, uh, you know, what kind of Bible I was going to use. We weren't talking about the way of salvation. We're talking about some minor decisions. And I remember they had something to do with my finances, had some things to do with my personal daily living. And I thought, I know what the Bible says, but uh, honestly, is something this small that big of a deal? 
the first thing that the Lord brought to my mind was, well, if it's not that big of a deal, why are you making such a big deal of it? So if it's such a small issue, why does it matter? Just do what I want. I knew what God wanted, by the way. I knew the will of God from the Bible. But I thought, will it really be that big of a deal if I don't obey the Lord in this one small area? And I was already surrendered to the Lord, was intent on serving Him, but there were some things I was wrestling with, and they seemed so minor. They had nothing to do, obviously, with being saved. They really had nothing to do with losing my public testimony. But they did have to do with what in my conscience I knew was the will of God versus what I knew was not. Seemed to be a minor decision. There were areas where other people who are saved might have done something different, but in my life I knew what God wanted me to do based on what the Bible said. And I remember at that time, and I've shared this with you before, what the Lord impressed upon me was any time that we're dealing with obedience to God, it's major. Disobedience to God in a minor issue equals disobedience to God. I disagree. Willful disobedience to God is major no matter how minor the issue. Ah, it is. If you're a parent, you understand this. If you're not a parent and you have addressed and dealt with children, you can understand this. I remember, um, I'll pick on Colton because he says please really well now. But when Colton was little, we had a battle over saying please. Now, honestly, how big of a deal is it to say please? It's not, but obeying your parents and doing what you're instructed to do and being thankful is. And so we had a battle over whether or not he would say please. I can pick on Kaysen. For Kaysen, it was look in my eyes. I kid you not. Kaysen, look at me. Kaysen, look at me. Kaysen, look up here. Truth, truth. He was little. I don't know if he remembers all this, but he was little, tiny. But we had it out over look at me. Now, some would look at that and say, how vindictive. The issue was not eye contact. The issue was not say please. The issue was who's in charge here, the child or the parent? Obedience. Here, wise men have no problem obeying God, large or small. If it's following a star, how many of us agree if you're going to leave your home country and travel for a great distance, that's a big deal. But you know, if you're going to go home, just go home. Does it matter how you go home? Well, for them it did because God told them how not to go home. Very interesting. God did not tell them which route to take, but he certainly told them which one not to take. Sometimes God makes our way plain simply by telling us what we're not supposed to do. Now, there's a lot who don't like that. We don't like negativity today. Uh, but God told them what not to do. It was a very positive thing, this negative commandment he gave them. And so I want to hone in on three things in verse 12 and in the verses preceding that lead up to that concerning the will of God. God had a very, very specific will as to how the wise men would return. Here is why it matters. God knew some things they did not. Something that stands out in this message to me tonight is wise men don't know everything. There's no one on earth like that. Wise men, you would think this. How many of you would suspect that these are wise men? They picked up on Herod and said, ah, we can tell he's not the real deal. How many have ever been fooled by another person? Meaning they really fooled you. You thought they had a character that they did not. How many have ever thought somebody had a character on the, the good side? You thought, boy, they're a godly good person only to find out, boy, they fooled me. How many have been on the other side of that? But I don't know about that one, only for them to prove you wrong in the end and show you they really did sincerely love the Lord and time proved it out. We're not all, there's no one wise enough to see the heart of another man. What men do with their lives tell us something about their heart, no doubt. But undoubtedly, the, the wise men were deceived by Herod and were planning to return to Herod just like he told them to. 
If they weren't, God wouldn't have had to tell them, don't do it. They were planning to return and tell Herod, we found him. We found the Savior. You can come and worship him too. But God knew what Herod was, even though the wise men didn't. And we'll find, I, I don't know that God ever even explained why not to return to Herod. He just told him not to. And we'll get into that in just a moment. What I began to say is wise men don't have to know everything. They have to know this. If God gives a clear instruction, obey it. Wise men don't have to be able to discern the character of every human. We have to be discerning enough to say, if God gave me a clear commandment, I'd be a fool not to obey it. And so that's the heart of the message tonight. Look at verse 12 again. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed unto their own country another way. I know that's a very simple verse. We're not going to complicate it. We're not going to, you know, pull things out of the Bible aren't there. We're just going to look at what the Bible does say and with the Lord's help apply it to where we're living and then uh, leave here, God willing, and apply it to where and how we live. And so let's begin tonight with this, the communication of his will. How many of us can see that all along from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, through Matthew 2, verse 12, God was communicating with these men? Now, there are those, and I say, well, I wish God would communicate with me. God has and does communicate with us. If the communication lines have stopped, sometimes God gets silent, but he always has a reason. And if communication has stopped, there's a reason for that. We would be wise to to say, I cannot proceed through life without communication from God. I must hear from Him. I must get light from Him. So here's my point. God had communicated with Him through the creation and through through the, 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 the correlation between what He had done in the heavens and what was printed on the page. God had communicated all the way to the point that it led them from way off in the east, all the way to the point where they are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. God had so clearly communicated to them who Jesus was that they came to faith in him and worshiped him, just like God has communicated with us. But what we find there is the fact that they reverenced or feared God and considered his works. They had faith in his word, and therefore they came to worship him. The fruit of that is practical, simple obedience in every facet of our lives. Someone says, I worship God, but will not obey the revealed will of God. Has got a problem. Something's wrong. There's a breakdown to say, I worship, but I don't obey. Worship is communicated and expressed through obedience. Because worship is an attitude of heart that says, I acknowledge who he is, and therefore I acknowledge who I am, and I understand the relationship between God and myself. My part is to do his will. And that's what we see in these wise men tonight. Verse 12, so simple, and yet it's like the icing on the cake of wise men. Today, wise men are, 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 from the human perspective, thought to be men who know how to, to be real critical thinkers. And don't misunderstand me. If we're wise, we will be critical thinkers. Critical through the Word of God, the lens of His Word. But the fact of the matter is, wise men are not men who have figured out how to live their lives on their own. Wise men are men who figured out how to listen to and obey God who knows all things. All wisdom proceeds from God, and there's no wisdom against God, Proverbs tells us. There's no counsel against the Lord. You say, there's plenty of counsel against the Lord. The meaning of that verse is there's no counsel against the Lord that's worth anything. It is not going to stand. And so wise men, again, we think of these as intellectuals and as educated men, and certainly they must have been to some degree, but their wisdom is not seen in their intellectualism. Their wisdom is not known in their education. Their wisdom is seen by their faith and their obedience. And I see the same today. How many of you have ever heard this term, an educated idiot? (laughs) We can become that. And I don't use the term. I don't think it's wise to go around calling people idiots. But the fact of the matter is we can become educated fools. Professing themselves to be wise, they became 
fools, not these men, though. So first of all, the communication of God's will in verse 12. Number one, notice how specific God's will is. Now, you remember, we just read it, and, and, and when the wise men were in Jerusalem, Herod said, what time did the star appear? He is very interested in the things of the Lord. He is very interested, Herod, in knowing about more about Christ. <laughs> how many of us would like to find somebody as interested in Christ as Herod was? Tell me more. What can you tell me about this newborn king? I want to know him too. And he even declared openly his intentions. I want to worship him also. You know, he's saying, I'm in fellowship with you men. As we pointed out a few weeks ago, Herod had the resources to find him on his own if he really wanted to. He had armies of men that could have scoured Jerusalem until they found this little child, if had he been sincere. Had he been sincere, he could have stepped out and seen the star and walked right to the Savior. May I say this, there are men who plead ignorant sometimes that are not ignorant, they are wicked. There are men that say, I didn't know there was a God. That's not true. God has made it known that He is. There are men that say, I had no idea there was a God. That is a lie. The fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Some would say, well, you know, this or that. Herod states, I'm a worshiper also. And, of course, you and I, like the wise men, would have said, this is great. We'll come back and tell the king that this king has been born. I don't know about you. I like it when there's not conflict and war and strife. I I like it that way. I think most people do. If you don't, you're demented. You've got a problem. And I would imagine the wise men might have, might have, because they're wise, thought if Herod finds out there's another king, he might be a little jealous. And when the king declares, oh, no, I'm not jealous. I want to worship him. He's covering. He's covering the true intent of his heart. But again, the wise men didn't know this. So God gets very specific when it's time for them to leave. They've come. They fulfilled their purpose. It is time to go back home. They've presented their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. How many of us can understand that the communication of God's will was specific? He made it extremely clear in a very practical way This is what I do not want you to do. You were planning to go back and visit Herod, but I'm telling you, don't. There's one thing that you had in your plans, and I'm saying, don't do it. So that's the specificity of his will. How about the simplicity of his will? This wasn't complicated. There were multiple routes home, we must assume, that could go home a different way, and all that God said is, don't go that way. Kind of like the Garden of Eden. Don't eat of that tree. This is a simple will of God because it's one commandment. It wasn't, don't go home to Herod. First, go out of town, go three miles left, go four miles north, turn, you know, this way. No, it wasn't complicated. It was, you can go really home any way you want, but don't go that way. Very simple. How many times do we complicate the will of God when he didn't complicate it? We we make it very complex. This was very simple. It was specific. Don't go back to Herod. It was very simple. Now, I've got a question. If you're in the wise man's, the shoes of these wise men, what might have made the will of God, or not the will of God, but the perceived will of God, or the perceived path that we should take, complicated? Was God's will specific and was it simple? Don't go back to Herod. Now, don't lose me here tonight. What might have made their minds confused and complicated? If they start saying this little three-letter word, I wonder why. Why? I mean... Why would God not want someone to worship Jesus Christ? Why would God not want this king to worship the newborn king? I don't understand what God is thinking. That little baby is his son. Why would you not want the monarch over the Jewish people to worship your son? I don't understand. 
Why would we not? This is not our plans. Now, this king will think we're disloyal. He'll think we're liars. If you know anything about Herod, he rules and he rules pretty strongly. He might get upset with us. He might chase us down. You think we really ought to avoid going back? You with me? Once you start putting a question mark over the specific, simple, revealed will of God, you're in trouble. Was God's will simple? Was God's will specific? Wise men made it no more complicated than that. I'm concerned over how we complicate very plain, clear, revealed will of God from the Bible. It concerns me. If we do what the Bible says, people might think we're strange. Or hold on, here's the new term. Do God's will, but don't be weird about it. I want somebody to put some definition on what it means to be weird. Huh? Just don't be weird. Well, weird is a relative term, meaning don't be different enough that people think you're odd. And I understand there are people who do some weird things in the name of religion. I get that. But I'm concerned when God's will is plain in his word about how we ought to conduct. How many of us understand that the way you go home is a pretty secondary issue? Unless you're the king's traveling back to Mexico. I I really encourage you to drive that route from the border to Monterey between midnight and the following morning. Would you consider doing that? (laughs) How you go home is pretty important. These guys and how they went home, it mattered. Now, it might have seemed insignificant. I mean, honestly, in the grand scheme of life, the route you choose to travel home, be honest with you, if God hadn't spoken, it would have been a minor issue. You want to go home that way? Sure. You want to go home that way? Fine. Which way do you want to go back? Doesn't matter. Preferential at that point. People love that word today too. Preference, preference, preference. May I say this? If you're going to obey God and God has spoken clearly, that's not a point of preference at that point. Can I say that again? If we're going to obey God, we're worshipers of God, and God has spoken clearly, let's not call that a preference. It's obedience or disobedience. That's what it is. Do you prefer to obey God or do you prefer to disobey God? I understand this seems to some perhaps like a minor issue, but God's will was specific. I don't want you going back to Herod, and God's will was simple. And in that, I want you to see the silence. And don't miss this. So we've seen the specificity of his will, the simplicity of his will, and the communication of it. So in this communication, specific and simple, but there's a silence in this communication as well. What does God not say? And we already mentioned this in the introduction. In telling them not to go back to Herod, what do we not find here? And we're not going to read between the lines. It's just not there. He doesn't tell them why. He doesn't say because Herod's going to try to kill the baby Jesus. He'll tell Joseph that after the wise men leave. I don't, understand, I don't know why, I, but I do find this. The angel or the dream that God gave the wise men, it didn't, Joseph didn't get his at the same time. If you look at the next verse, it says, And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise. And take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. I think if verse 13 didn't say what it does, I wouldn't make the point I'm making. What God told Joseph, get out of town because Herod's trying to kill the baby. He did not tell the wise men. All he did is gave them one specific commandment without explaining why. And it was go home another way than the way back to Herod. I'm going to say something tonight. Wise men don't stand and say, well, I will if I understand why. But I'm not going to jeopardize my neck from an angry king if I don't have to. 
Proverbs 29, 25 still says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. I find this. When you find a little child that will not obey until they have a full explanation as to why, you found you a rebel on your hands. You need to go clean your room. Well, you didn't tell so-and-so to clean theirs right now. Have nothing to do with it. Well, this isn't the time of day you normally tell me to clean my room. You know what they're saying? Two-letter word. No. Now, what's the application to us? God says, this is what I want you to do. Well, in this generation, Lord, in this culture, Lord, except we don't say it, Lord, we say it to other people. Well, but in this generation, in this culture, at this time, here's what I want to say. In God telling them what to do, he communicated his will. He did not communicate to them why. He just said, don't go back to Herod. Don't go back. Go, and go home another way. Don't go back to Herod. So the communication of God's will was specific. It was simple, but in it there was a silence. And by that we mean he did not tell them why. He just told them what to do. Number two, let's find the conflict. And we've already alluded to this, the conflict with his will. So we've seen the communication, the conflict. This is where it could get messy for these men. How many of you know what Herod did to people that didn't obey him? He took their heads off. He not only removed heads of people who didn't obey him, you can study history and study the rest of Matthew too. Anyone that he felt was part of threatening his domain died, including babies. You think if he had a problem lobbing off the head of a two-year-old child, he'd have any problem lobbing off the head of some men? If he thinks that you are part of facilitating the rise of a new king, do you think these men knew what kind of danger they were in? You have any idea what kind of... Let me ask you this. What makes us believe if they'd gone back to Herod and say, we found him, they would, he wouldn't have cut their heads off then? And what makes you think he wouldn't have pulled them aside and interrogated him and said, now what did you do when you found him? What did you do? Did you worship him? Did you recognize him as the true king of the Jews? Because if you did, you are disloyal to me and you're going to hang. If you know anything about Herod, that's not far-fetched. For him to have brought them... Do you realize God was protecting the lives of these men? God was protecting the life of Jesus Christ, protecting the lives of Joseph and Mary by a simple, secondary, preferential commandment, go home a different way? You watch out tonight for a crowd that's starting to tell you, please listen to me clearly, there's a crowd out here that hates obeying anyone but their own will. And they're going to tell you that's preferential, though the Bible is clear. And that's preferential, though the Bible... Let me tell you something tonight. It is not a preference whether or not you use dirty language. You use foul language, use God's name in vain, drink alcohol. That's not preference. That's disobedience to God. And if you prefer to disobey God, say so. Say, I don't like obeying God, but don't say your unclean living is a preference. And you say, what's this got to do with wise men? Everything. God told them to do something so simple, so unmeaningful. Don't go back the way you came. I mean, honestly, the grand scheme is that, you know, so, so here's the standard, we never return the same way we came? No. It was clear direction for a moment of time because God knew more than they did. So important that as God applies the Bible to our lives in a practical way, in a simple, specific manner, we just say, He's God. I, look at I cannot explain to you every act of obedience in my life. I can't give you all the wisdom behind why I won't do that and why I won't do that. All I know is that's what the Bible says. As that lines up in my conscience, I know I can't do that and I can't do that because that said, God said no. Isn't that enough? <laughs> yeah, that's enough. And I know I'm being a little broad tonight, but the fact of the matter is, is that 
for these men, there was a conflict, and it could have been a conflict inside of them. I don't find that it was in the Bible. And the conflict was the same one who wanted them to worship the Lord Jesus Christ had another one who didn't. Now, let's let Herod represent what every one of us have conflicting inside of us. Doesn't Herod represent the flesh pretty well? Doesn't the flesh of all of us have something down inside of us that says, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I want to be the final say. And until that person is dead in Christ, <laughs> he can't be, that's the only way to deal with the flesh. He's got to be dead in Christ. He's got to be crucified. The Herod represents someone who was self-pleasing, was he not? If Herod had somebody pleased him, it's, un, it's known he had multiple wives. One of them he had killed because he thought that she was going to betray his throne. Later he lost his mind thinking he saw her come back from the dead. <laughs> That's what history tells us. Man was a self-pleasing man, a self-promoting man. You realize he had no rightful, he was not a rightful heir to that throne. My understanding was he was a Gentile, not a Jew, and he's on the Jewish throne. <laughs> he's an imposter, but he's a self-promoting man, and therefore he's a self-preserving man. When you live to please yourself and you live to promote yourself, you have to defend and preserve yourself. You have to preserve what you've built. And we know he's a self-preserving man by the context of Matthew 2. Anyone that threatened his world had to be removed, taken out of the way. May I say the same thing that was in conflict with the revealed will of God here in this chapter. So let me put it to you this very plainly. What did Herod want the wise men to do when they went home? You come back and tell me where he's at. What did God want them to do? Don't go back. Meaning, God says, I want you to do the opposite of what he said. There's so many lessons in this. But for us tonight, let us understand this. Self-promotion, self-preservation, and self-pleasing are always in conflict with God's will. Herod represents all of that. And there's always going to be a conflict. There's going to be a part of you that says, if you do what God says, if you do what God says, God says, don't go back to him. And you and I could play the game. If we don't go back to Herod and he finds out, by the way, how did he respond when he found out they didn't come back? Let's go ahead and read it. The Bible says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked, meaning he got found out, uh, they fooled him. They, he didn't fool them. They fooled him. By the way, the best way to make a mockery of a wicked man like Herod is just obey God. I don't, do you think the wise men stood up and said, How can we make a fool out of Herod? No. God made the fool out of Herod. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And so then there was a clear communication of God's will, but there was a person who told them to do exact opposite of what God told them, and that was the self-pleasing, self-promoting, self-preserving Herod. And let him represent our flesh, let him represent wicked men in the world today. Uh, this is not one of the subjects we covered, one of the texts we covered, we dealt with Civil disobedience, I think probably the better title for that series of messages, if I had to re-preach it today, would be heavenly obedience. I don't believe disobedience is ever to be the goal of the Christian. Ever. Obedience is always the goal. What happens is there are times when wicked men think they're God and say, you do the opposite of what God tells you to do. And our answer must be, we're still going to obey. We just have to, we're going to have to choose to obey God rather than men. It results in disobedience to that man, but disobedience to that man is not the goal. So then, in every other area where we're supposed to obey, we should. How many of us understand they disobeyed a king? They disobeyed a sovereign on earth. 
Here's why. That sovereign was playing God. And God said, he told you to do this, but I'm telling you to do this. And they said, well, we're going to obey God. And so then there was communication of his will, specific, simple, but there was some silence, and he didn't tell them why. There was conflict with his will. Certainly they must have remembered the words of Herod. When you found him, come tell me again. They had to choose which voice they were going to listen to. God, who had communicated through a dream and said, don't, or Herod, who had communicated in the flesh and said, come back, and they chose to listen to God, making them wise. Verse 12, again, there was obviously compliance with his will. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they depart into their own country another way. I never really thought about this before, and I've preached this text many, 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 many times. But how many of them got the dream, you reckon? How many of these wise men? We don't know how many there were, but there was multiple of them. Uh, well, there were two or there were 20. How many of them got, them got the dream? I don't know. They all knew what the dream said, though. Here's what I find. These wise men were unified in their decision. It wasn't like part of the wise men went back another way, but part of the wise men went to Herod. No. May I say this? And and it's a good opportunity to say it. Nothing forms fellowship like being devoted to obedience to God. Nothing will strengthen a marriage. Hear me now. Nothing will strengthen a marriage like man and woman saying, you know what my job is today? To obey God. You know what? I don't get up saying my job today is primarily to love Jenny Beth, and I hope I can love God while I do it. No, she doesn't get up saying, my primary job today is to submit to Nevin and, and be his companion and serve the Lord with him. And hopefully God doesn't you know, interfere with that. We, we have to rise and say, my primary job today is to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we're going to obey him, then we'll do those things out of obedience to him. Uh, our primary job today is not that of parents. Our primary job is being a servant to Christ. And he tells us what kind of parents to be. My primary job today is not being a pastor. My primary job is being a servant to Christ. And yeah, I'll pastor where he wants me to pastor as long as he wants me to and do it the way he wants me to with his aid and help and grace. But my point is these men were unified because they were agreed about obeying God. I'm going to tell you what causes schism is when God's will is made known and someone says, you know, I think if we don't go back to Herod, it's a mistake. Yeah, I think if we miss this witnessing opportunity and we're all about witnessing, Here's a man that wants to worship the same one we worship, and we wouldn't, want to, we wouldn't want to rob him of his opportunity to worship now, would we? I hope you're tracking with me tonight. We certainly wouldn't want to rob that sincere king of his opportunity to worship our God. I know this comes as a shock, but everybody that says they want to worship God isn't always telling the truth. But how do we worship God? Just obey him. If worship of God requires disobedience to God, it ceases to be worship. Please hear that. When worship to God requires disobedience to God, it seeks to be it ceases to be worship. King Saul demonstrates that. He offered a sacrifice to God prematurely and out of order. It wasn't his job to offer sacrifice, but he'd waited on Samuel long enough. And he said, I've waited and he's not coming. So though I'm not a priest, I'm going to go ahead and offer. I, he forced himself. The, the fella, he loved God so much, he forced himself to disobey. Hmm? And he worshiped God by a disobedient sacrifice, stepping outside of his jurisdiction. Was a Benjamite ever supposed to offer a sacrifice? That's the Levite's job, not a Benjamite's. But he said, but God had to be worshipped. We had to offer sacrifice. Then he forced himself again later to worship God by holding back part of the flock to offer in sacrifice, the best, and Agag the king to show him off as a trophy for God, of course, for God, of course. How many of us believe Saul was worshipping God by sparing the life of Agag? 
God said to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken to the fat of rams. How many of us understand the obedience of the wise men to not return to Herod is the indication of their heart toward God? And may I say this tonight, there's a whole crowd of people today who claim to be super spiritual who are saying, yes, we're doing things that seem to be in conflict with what the Bible says, but we love Jesus. And we do it because we want to reach people. We want to reach people. The best way to reach people is obey the Great Commission. Amen? best way to reach people is be holy unto the Lord like these men were. I find a few things. Number one, in their compliance with His will, there was a fellowship that was formed. These men had come together to worship together, and they continued home together because there was no conflict about the path they should take. There was complete agreement and harmony about how to go home. You say, what's the big deal? It would only be a big deal if one of them had said, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) It was normal and expected that these men would listen to God and obey God. Nothing will unify us. Remember this, it is not the spirit of unity we're after, it's the unity of the spirit. We say that often, but I'll say it again. Ephesians chapter 4 says we are to endeavor to keep, I've heard preachers quote this, the spirit of unity. That's not what it says. We are to endeavor to keep the unity of the capital S spirit in the bond of peace. And so there was fellowship among them. Number two, there was freedom. Notice this. How many options did they have for going home? I don't know how many travel routes there were. There was only one that God said, don't take. I'm just telling you, don't go back to Herod. God knew what Herod was up to. So he said, God didn't really care. Outside of that, God didn't say, you have to do this. You have to just don't go that way. Do you realize there's more freedom in the will of God than people let on? There's freedom to do what God says. And so uh, it was very simple. Go home, just not that way. And then the fruit of this was you can think it through. Think about the preserving. You say, what about all those little children under two? You realize there are some people, I think about the way some people reason. As I've preached through this message, if you've preached or talked to or tried to witness people enough, you begin to learn to know how other people think at times. I can just hear some naysayer, some gainsayer saying that, yeah, but, but by not going back to Herod, look at all the little two-year-olds that got killed. Meaning that was the wise men's fault that all those babies got killed. That was Herod's doing. Not the wise men. But there are those who are always seeking to blame the righteous for the deeds of the wicked. And that's not my, the heart of this message tonight. My point in warning you, don't fall into that. We fall into that trap. Someone will use that snare and that trap to get us to disobey God. You wouldn't want innocent people to get hurt, so you better go ahead and disobey God or innocent people. The point is, obedience to God is simple. When God makes His will and His way known, wise men say, God knows best and we'll figure it out later. And if God said, don't go back to Herod, we don't. And the fruit of that was, out of that came, what would have happened had they gone back to Herod? You know exactly what happened. He would have have surrounded that house with an army that night. And God was protecting his son for the day that he would lay his life down and not be taken from him. A little infant doesn't have the opportunity to lay his own life down. And so he he protected the Lord Jesus Christ. He protected Joseph and Mary. He protected the wise men. We say, we didn't protect all those little two-year-olds. They're in heaven tonight. And I grieve over the way they died, but they're in heaven tonight, and Herod is not. Here's what I'm trying to say tonight, is there is fruit in just simply doing the will of God. Wise men cannot always explain why the will of God is right, but they can explain why it's always right to do God's will. Please don't miss it. Wise men cannot always explain why the will of God is right, 
If you'd said to the wise men, why aren't you returning to Herod? What would they have told you? They'd probably have to say, because God said. Enough. God said don't. He's God. We obey God. We just worshipped him, laid our gifts at his feet. We obey God. May I say tonight, let us not be a people who always demand of God an explanation. Let's just be wise enough when we know the will of God to do it. You realize throughout the entire nativity story, the heroes in the story, the people that shine, Zacharias and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary and the wise men and the shepherds, how long did they hesitate to do what God had told them to do? The moment Simeon realized who Jesus was, what did he do? Took him up in his arm and blessed him. The moment Anna realized who he was, what did she do? The moment the shepherds realized who he was, what did they do? The moment the wise men knew what to do, what did they do? When Zacharias was rebuked and didn't believe at first and was dumb, we understand he was on board from that moment forward. He's the only one I can find that had any hesitation. Mary asked, how shall this be? As soon as God said, with God it's possible. She believed God and was blessed. We'll be wise. We'll be wise. Behave like the wise men. When the Lord says, don't do that, we say, okay. We don't say why. We just say, if God said it, that's enough. How many of us are glad sometimes he gives us the why? I would imagine sometime later they probably found out, but I don't know. All I know is they were wise enough to continue in God's will. They followed the star. That was the will of God. They obeyed the scripture and went to Bethlehem. That was the will of God. They presented their treasures to him. That was the will of God. But it was just as much the will of God that they not go back home through Jerusalem. And they obeyed. May we be that wise tonight. Wise enough to consider the works of God. Wise enough to have confidence in the word of God. Wise enough to be consecrated to the worship of Jesus Christ. And wise enough to continue in God's will, whether we have the explanation for it or not. Mm -hmm.